Ben Brubaker is the executive director of White Bird Cahoots. Good to have you, Ben. Program that is uh, in your neck of the woods in, in Oklahoma. Um, but Toronto, it's a much, much bigger city. What would some of the challenges be for us? Well, I, I think that, you know, given that a lot of the interest right now in these kinds of alternative forms of, um, you know, public safety response are being driven by folks that are out in the street, raising their voices, demanding change, hope that each community will really sit down at the table and really plan together what's best for their community. Um, do I see the CAHOOTS model being an effective model that could be implemented in, in other cities across the nation? Definitely. But I really hope that the conversation will be a community-driven one about how that actually looks. So I think I just kind of want to start with that. The sheer geographic size of each individual city will really um, kind of drive the overwhelming need how many kind of sets of workers that you might need. One of the things that they've done looking at in Portland is pilot projects that at least target uh, specific areas of high need. And I think that's a way that any city can kind of ease into it is to look at, well, wh wh what would the best, you know, geographic region to start this program work in? I mean, the debate the about... Oh, then last thing I would say that is a big challenge is that, you know, we've been working for uh, 50 years as far as Whitebird Clinic, the umbrella organization goes, uh, with our project here with public safety and the Eugene police. And, and that partnership takes a long time to kind of nurture and grow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the other challenge for others to those partnerships forward so that there's a good working relationship. In Toronto, our council just voted against defunding police, but what they are willing to do is to, you know, add in resources because at the end of the day, police are not trained to deal with mental health issues. I mean, they can't be experts in everything. And I was looking at some of our numbers. We get about 30,000 mental health calls a year which is 82 a day. And, you know, it's, it's things like welfare to, to a mental health uh, care. Um, but these are the kinds of calls that don't go out on a priority one. So when you get a 911 call, they wouldn't know to tell a team, uh, you know, go out and do this. So they, they send the police first into these dangerous areas. And we do actually have eight units now uh, that do this kind of work, whether it's a nurse or a trained paramedic. But again, it's a part time. It's not a 24 seven running operation. Right. And I hear that. And I, and again, I, I would go back to any kind of pilot project that at least gets it going as a start. Um, we ran for 12 hour shifts for mm. a, a very long lifespan of cahoots and have only been adding uh, extensive amounts of hours and extra vans over the last five or six years. Um, so anything that can kind of start that process of testing out this kind of model, seeing how it works seeing what kind of load it can actually take off of law enforcement. Because I think one of the things you're noticing is the thing that we hear from our law enforcement partners all the time, which is they're tired of being the de facto behavioral health response. Mm -hmm. uh, many law enforcement uh, people that I've talked to have actually said, you know, we're, we're just dealing with the brokenness of the system, the brokenness of our mental health care and physical health care systems. And they're tired of being the only ones uh, left kind of picking up the pieces. And I think finally, like as far as like where the funding comes from, I think, again, that's up to each community to look at because there's lots of partners that could stand to save money. You know, we know we save our our local uh, health care, health insurance, public health insurance folks, probably millions of dollars in ER diversion, folks that would normally be in the ER. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it, it, though each community is going to have to look at where 
where does this funding come from? How can we best apply this funding? And ideally, we'll also look through that kind of larger lens of where else are these inputs needed into the community that could actually benefit stuff? Because just throwing mobile crisis at these problems is just kind of repeating the same pattern. So you need to look at shelter and sobering and uh, what, what are our respite care and, and, and how do we helping connect, you know, people that are experiencing behavioral health issues with services and make sure that all those needs are also um, factoring into the, the creation of what could be a really great restructuring for every community to really look at what does public safety really mean? And, and how do we look at public safety further upstream than just the 911 call or the non-emergency call? Well, there's no question that, uh, you know, change is needed. And I've always said, you know, instead of taking away from the police, add on to where they're vulnerable and mental health issues have been issues for so, so long. They're finally part of the conversation. It's just about, you know, how do you find that balance you know, dealing with a priority one call that that could be violent, and instead of having it end up in death, um, you know, and then a lot of questions after, you know, as de-escalate, which is really what we want. And I mean, maybe this is the route and the model we we take, but again, it seems like it's taken an awfully long time to address a lot of the needs we already know exist. Yeah, that's true, and and I think that you know, careful partnership that can really look at dispatch protocol really look at at what are the risk factors that both sides see in each kind or type of call so the people the right people are sent to the right situation is a really important part of the conversation that we've had over decades here and i think that it's also and that's an ongoing conversation mm-hmm. we're constantly mm-hmm. talking about it and trying to look for ways to improve it and stuff like that and i also think that as far as the safety piece goes you know even with the calls that we take here sometimes the uh if there's a a weapon or something involved even where the person's not actively threatening others um the police will be the first response out but they'll stage us in the area and they know we're a resource setting right there ready to go and i think that changes the conversation up front and the way the interaction goes because they're just there to secure make sure everything's safe for us and then we'll come in and take over the call and most of the time they uh the law enforcement will then clear the scene fairly quickly once they see that it's safe and that we're we have it handled I understand that police probably feel like they're under fire right now for for just about everything. But in your experience, once this program got working and into play, did you feel that the police actually felt a sense of relief that they had backup uh, to to deal with these situations? Was the the relationship after a while of one of give and take and, and, uh, you know, a sense that they can actually do their job without adding further, um, you know, carnage or tragedy? Well, I, I think for them, for law enforcement, what we hear again and again is how appreciative they are that we're there so that they can step out of the kinds of calls where they're simply not um, needed, where it is there's nothing criminal in nature, but somebody's mm-hmm. needing some support. And they recognize that we could be heading off further work for them um, by getting out there and working with the person before it does turn into something that they have to interact with. And so I, I think that, you know, yeah, our partnerships here have really developed over time into, into ones where they, they really do appreciate the support we give and line staff at this point uh, in law enforcement here. They don't know what they would do. Uh, one of the line officers uh, more recently actually referred to us as a force multiplier. Well, we will see where the conversation goes from here. Um, this clearly had some uh, positive effects in, in your community. Sam, I do appreciate your time on this. 
Well, like I said, we're more than happy to help and assist communities in these conversations in any way we can. It's been a long time dream of ours to help try to spread some really great impact. And I appreciate you giving us time to talk to that. We'll have you on again. Ben, thank you. All right. Thank you. Have a good day.